Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock MBA Podcast. Today's guest is Allison Hagendorf from Spotify. She is the global head of rock, basically the person inside the company whose job is to be an authority on that genre. And you might be asking, well, what makes her the person who is so qualified to do that? Well, as you will find out in this episode, she has spent the last 20 years or so involved in all kinds of different facets of the music industry as an A&R at some big labels, as a host on Fuse and a couple other TV shows. She's seen a lot of different sides of the industry and I have to say she's one of the most knowledgeable people about just the entire spectrum of rock, which I mean that makes sense since that is literally her job to be knowledgeable about every corner of rock and as you will find out she is. So we just kind of shoot the shit talking about the past, present, and future, and her show Rock This on Spotify. If you were a fan of like Matt Pinfield or This Week in Rock or any of that old like Fuse and MTV programming, you're gonna love her show. She sits down with a different artist every week. For example, she's had like Youngblood, Ghostmane, Grandson, Bring Me the Horizon, and also shares a few of her favorite songs from important artists that you should know about. So check that out on Spotify. If you like my channel, I think you will also like her show. Before we get into it, I wanted to mention the Punk Rock NBA newsletter. That is a weekly email that I send out with links to all my content, links to what Deanna and I are reading, listening to, and watching. You can sign up for that at the link in the show notes. We'll never share your email or sell it or spam you or send you ads or anything like that. So if you want to keep tabs on what we're doing, you can do that at the link in the show notes. And with that, let's get into this episode. Allison, thanks so much for joining. I'm sure you have very busy days, so I appreciate you making the time. Of course. Are you kidding? I'm so excited to be finally hanging. I can't believe we haven't hung out yet. Well, yeah. I mean, I I guess uh, we probably just kind of travel in different parts of the music world because I'm into all my weird, hardcore and alternative rap kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, the whole, uh, we'll call it big rock world uh, is is this mysterious machine that uh, I don't understand this, the serious XM octane, you know, kind of world uh, that it seems like you inhabit, judging from the plaques behind you. <laughs> Well, I have a very diverse plaques. I, I feel like I, I'm involved in all of it, in the full spectrum, the full spectrum of the rock alternative world, which I love. Yeah. So for anybody who's not familiar, can you tell them exactly what your job is so that I don't get it wrong and maybe give them a little bit of your background so they understand where you're coming from? Sure. Uh, I'm the head of Rock at Spotify, and I am the host and executive producer of the show Rock This with Allison Hagendorf, also on Spotify. I've been in the music business for over 20 years. I, uh, I got my start stockpiling CDs at indie labels, just kind of being close to the music, doing whatever it took to just kind of be close. And um, I actually got my start being, I was a Sony college rep and um, I, I won rep of the year so that when I graduated, I got a job offer at Columbia and Epic Records. But I knew that Is that, that like when you would like pass out CDs at schools totally. and stuff? Exactly. So like we'd be given a list of priorities and I would have to come up with unique ways to promote those bands like on campus, off campus. And Penn State has a huge Greek system. So I would always involve that. And uh, I was I was very creative with some of my ideas. So I I think that's why. Is is it like all the 2000s teen party movies? (laughs) 
Yes. Is it really like that? A hundred percent, actually. <laughs> it's actually legitimately just like that. It's like Animal House. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing. But I knew that Matt Pinfield, who was my idol from MTV, and that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a VJ on MTV my whole life. So I said, I'll just take that job and I like find my way to Matt, which is exactly what I did. I convinced HR to create a position where I could be Matt's right hand, in addition to the other assistant job I was hired to do. And then just Matt and I became instant fast friends, best friends. And I fell in love with a and I, I always have loved artist discovery and, and scouting unsigned talent, making records became a passion of mine. So can you tell people exactly what a and is? Because I think a lot of yeah. people have heard that okay. phrase, but maybe not don't know exactly what ARs do. Sure. ANR stands for artists and repertoire. So it, it's basically it's unscouting unsigned talent and making records. So, and you know, in those days, this is before social media and stuff. So that just meant, you know, living the life, just being out. I was in New York. I'm from New York. So I was in the Lower East Side seven nights a week, like at five clubs a night, just like checking out the bands at Mercury Lounge, Arlene's, Shanae, Pianos. Like it was such an amazing time of my life. I miss those days. Those were like my, my, early, my early days. And New York's up until, until four in the morning. So I would just be out every right. night till four and then do it all over again the next night. It was so awesome. That sounds like my worst nightmare, but I'm glad that there are people like you who, who lean into it. So, all right. So, so that's kind of your, your, your background as an a &R. Yeah. So A&R and then, which I did at both Epic and Columbia Records, but then I transitioned to interviewing bands, you know, on camera. And that's where I kind of broke into the hosting world where, you know, MTV was no longer really doing music. And Fuse was. Fuse was still, was really like the home for music. So I became- Fuse was so cool. It was the best. And I, I feel so grateful. I was one of the main hosts on Fuse and I hosted the Top 20 Countdown. I, I covered all the festivals. That's really where I got like my TV hosting chops. Because I had hosted before for online stuff, but the television experience was like a whole new world. That's why you seem familiar. I never actually had Fuse because it was kind of like it wasn't on a lot of cable providers. So I never actually yeah. had it myself. But anytime I would go to somebody's house or was traveling or whatever and they had Fuse, I would always want to watch it. So I didn't get to know any of the stuff in particular, but I would see snippets here and there. And they also had all the best motion graphics designers in the world. Like Viacom had everybody good back then for motion graphics. Yeah, it, it was a very special time. And to this day, I'm always so honored and flattered when people like were like, I to watch you on Fuse that makes me so happy because those are real music fans. People who watch Fuse are real fans. It's like a big inspiration from my channel is like mid-2000s Fuse. Yes. Yes. It was so it was, good. It was a cool moment. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm a New Yorker, but I moved to LA because when all the music competition shows were coming up, I hosted the one on the CW with Gloria Estefan, Joe Jonas, Nelly, John Rich of Big and Rich. And then like as a New York New Yorker, I finally stopped hating on LA because <laughs> I actually, you know, I always would visit LA, but for the show, I lived in LA and I actually loved it. So I moved here and then I just started hosting full time. I, I became the, the host for Times Square New Year's Eve, which was just mental. And I hosted the X Games and the CrossFit Games. I just was hosting and then Spotify was looking for genre experts and and rock and alternative is really my my forte and my passion. So the the through line there to me, and tell me if I've got this wrong, is that it seems like you really enjoy being an advocate for you know artists that deserve it. A hundred percent. Literally, you just described. It. I love being a megaphone and a cheerleader for 
artists, either undiscovered artists or artists that I feel like more people should know about. So yeah. I just, I'm very, I, when I hear new music, I get so excited that it just takes over my body and I want other people to feel that same excitement. Well, I feel like Spotify has really filled the role that those things like TRL and Fuse and stuff uh, used to play of kind of the place where you go that you want to discover something cool, whether that's the curated playlist. I think the algorithmic ones are also fantastic. Like I just discovered like eight new songs yesterday on my discover weekly. I was like, man, they're getting really good at this. Discover weekly is great. That's awesome. That makes me so happy to hear. And that was kind of my, my motivation for my show because I grew up watching 120 minutes on MTV. And then it became like, there was like subterranean, which was like the really underground stuff. So I mm -hmm. love that I had a place to go to for that. So the vision for my show, Rock This with Alison Hagendorf is literally that. So if you like tune in, I always kick it off with a, with a cultural moment because the whole show is about celebrating the past, present and future of the rock alternative culture. So always kick it off with like a memory or an album anniversary or someone's birthday and so play like an old song. And then it's like, here are a handful of new songs you need to know. And that could be a new song from Foo Fighters or a new song from an unsigned artist that you've never heard of because literally the person just like gave me the song and I'm putting it on. Right. Right now. And then there's an interview. And uh, I'm the interviews have been amazing. And we have some more exciting ones lined up. I so. checked out the Bringing the Horizon one the other day. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was great. great. I love yeah. those guys. We, we had a, a, my wife and I uh, hung out with them uh, last year whenever they came through. We had an awkward moment uh, where they were asking us if we were going to go to the show tonight. And I literally couldn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> and it was start, and he had to repeat himself three times. And, and it was getting a little awkward. And I, I managed to uh, save it. I was like, I'm sorry, I don't speak English. What exactly are you saying? <laughs> I don't speak English, right. Uh, I we, can listen to them it. talk all day. Ali's accent is the best. It's like a lullaby. It's really just a beautiful sound. I, I agree. Well, what I think is uh, really smart about the format of the show, and I'm I'm guessing this is deliberate, is uh, you know you do such a great job of connecting the past with the present and the future, like you said, because you know one of one of my I don't know if frustrations is the right. I guess it's a frustration is that it's really hard to get people to pay attention to new artists. And so what I do in my videos is I bring them in the door with Corey Taylor or whatever, and then I find a way to sort of slot in a bunch of new artists along the way. So you came for Corey, but you found out about, you know, Scarlord or whatever. I love that. That's brilliant. You and I are both, you know, a part of the crew. We're the missionaries waving the flag. So I, I, re I absolutely respect and admire everything you do. So I'm so psyched for connecting. So that's kind of your, your same approach with the show then. Totally. I think what's really special and unique about rock is that probably unlike other genres, you know, the past is really important. And you do need to know the past. You do need to know the influences. Every interview I have, whether it's a 20-year-old artist or an a, iconic 60-year-old artist, I always want to know the influences. Who was it? Because usually it's an artist that got them to turn to music to begin with. So I love knowing those stories because it really speaks volumes about their journey. So I think it's important to always pay homage to these influences and then talk about and explore the journey to now, you know? And I think that it's really important to evolve the genre. I'm all about evolving the genre. And it's, I don't understand for people who are like, oh, like that's not rock or whatever. I'm like, I don't understand. Rock and roll has always been 
defiance and a fusion of a million sounds and textures and cultures. So why is that different now? It's not. So when I embrace things that people are like, that's not really rock. I'm like, what do you like the rock? Like, judge like I don't understand like that this is rock and roll that it's fusing elements that we haven't heard before I think it's so exciting I love artists that make me question like, is this rock and rock is really more of a spirit anyway totally what warrants something to be rock as a percentage of like guitar riffs in it like I don't I love the guitar and I love guitar riffs but like I'm really also exciting excited about this new generation who were exposed to every genre were exposed to every song that ever existed up until this point and that's why yep. they turned to music that's cool they're, they're the genre that grew up with myspace and i mean gosh i feel old but they might have even grown up with spotify right. <laughs> it's been right. around for a while and being able to access any like when i was a kid i remember being like what if there was a box that you could carry in your pocket <laughs> where you could just play any song you wanted whatever well that, that'll never happen but wouldn't right. that be cool and and these are the people that grew up with that and so i i think it's really interesting that there's people I don't know, like, I'll, I'll say a lot of the goth boy click people just sort of seamlessly, because they've been doing this for a while, seamlessly go between, they'll make a kind of slow indie song, and then they'll make like a punk song, and they'll make a rap song, and it feels consistent. It doesn't feel like they're, you know, they're like genre shapeshifters, and I, I think that's really cool. Totally. And remember, that's what rock and roll was, <laughs> the beginning of rock music was was mind-blowing music that had never been done before and was a fusion of so many things. And um, the only thing that, you know, that makes me a little sad about the new generation, because I think it's so cool that they have access to everything, and I'm jealous of that, is that I'm not sure if, for the, this is a generalization, that they'll understand or love the album as much as people who were forced to grow up with just limited albums, you know? So, so what although, I always did when I was a kid is I would make tape compilations for myself that were just the songs I liked. So basically like a playlist. Okay, yeah. Because I've al I always, any given album, I'd find two or three songs off it that I liked and never listened to the rest of them. That's true. I think it just depends on the album. I also like grew up like in like the early 90s renaissance of like Nevermind and Super Unknown. Like I, I literally grew up a 10, you know what I mean? So like all of those albums are just perfect. Siamese Dream, you know, these are just perfect yeah. albums. Um, so I, I know each one of those albums inside and out, start to finish, looking at the liner notes, like, yep. you know, memorizing lyrics, like looking at like the thank yous, like the tactile experience of that. But I also like lugged all those around in like a book and like right. it was a nightmare and like they'd scratches, but I still can't li listen to them. So pros and cons, but I, yep. I think we're for the better that this new generation and not, and everyone has access. It's like the unlimited jukebox. I think that is the coolest thing. And, you know, you might even be able to DM your favorite artist and they might reply to you. I know. That's pretty cool. The access is just insane. I mean, to this day, me DMing artists, whether they're brand new artists that I'm really intrigued by or idols of mine, you know, I mean, it's just, I still get so, my mind gets blown when like someone I love is like responding to me, you know, I'm like, this is sick. And it, yeah. and even in my interviews, you know, I'm first and foremost a fan. So sitting down, you know, with, Foo Fighters or Billy Corgan or Maynard, you know, like these moments never get lost on me. I am very grateful. We are spoiled with choice now. Yeah. So what is it that you find rewarding? Like, you know, when you let's let's say when you like an artist and you go, man, I would really like to draw more attention to this person. 
what is like the moment that makes you go, ah, I did it. Yes. Mission accomplished. Yeah. I think sometimes it's, um, of course you can see it in numbers, but it's always like the live show experience, you know, knowing like, for example, the first time I saw a grandson and like, it was a handful of people in the room and then like knowing, cause I, you know, supporting and waving the flag and then like going to the, sh watching the numbers just like increase the fans knowing every word and just being able to be that liaison between the artist and the fan and to be that megaphone, you know, shouting from the mountaintops, like this is a sick artist that should be on your radar. It's the most rewarding thing. And sometimes I feel like I'm almost like a rock therapist because <laughs> for some bands, I'm the, the very first person in their journey or like maybe I've made them feel like they're going in the right direction because I've, you know, put them on a playlist or played them on my show or it's just, um, that is the most rewarding to give an artist confidence or to, to give an artist like, this is awesome, you know, kind of like just to make sure, just keep doing you because it's mm -hmm. great. Just keep going. Is there any one kind of through line as far as what makes you excited about an artist? I think for me, it's like one of two things. Either one, I'm really into great songwriting, of course. Um, so I can, I can hear a great song pretty quickly, but I also want it to be something unique about the song. So maybe it's lyric, you know, maybe it's lyric lyrics or it's a unique, like a, like a, like a guitar riff that really stands out. So something that's traditional, maybe musically, whether that's songwriting lyrics or like a, a guitar part or, you know, like a drum beat, but like a lot of times it's something that like is jarring, you know, like it's the opposite of what I just said. So it's like on one end of the spectrum, it's like something that's like great and more classic, but really like talented. And then the other mm -hmm. end of the spectrum is like, wait, what is this? Who yeah. is this? And like, what's happening? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. What's, what's the last thing you heard that made you go, what the fuck is this? I love uh, Wargasm. Uh-huh. You know, Wargasm. It's just like sick and like messy and noisy and loud and just a lot going on. And I think it's sexy. I just love it. You know, I, okay. I remember the first time I heard Idols, I just thought that was really cool. Like Fontaine's and like, mm -hmm. just sort of like this new wave of punk that's that's been happening. I just think it's a very exciting time. A lot of like cacophonous, you know, music mm -hmm. that's just awesome and irreverent and beautiful in its own way. So I think we're in a great time. So I think we're about the same age because I was in uh, eighth grade when Nevermind came out. Yeah. Now... I go through these cycles where like, I don't know, maybe every two years or so, I'm like, oh, it's done. There's nothing new. Like music's over. Everything is just a rehash. And then I always find something that makes me go, oh, there's this whole group of people doing this new thing that I never thought of. This is awesome. And that's what makes me excited is like to have those moments where I realize that there is a pocket of people doing something new and different. And like, that's what just like lights my fire again every time. No, you're absolutely right. That's a good call because it does need to be a movement because you can have like one great band yeah. in a vacuum and it's never going to resonate the way it should or can. It does need to be a, at least a couple of great artists happening around the same time for it to really be a movement. But I really do feel like we are in that special window right now. I feel like there's a lot of different things happening, like different pockets of stuff. It's cool they can be global movements now in a way that, you know, wasn't as possible before. I mean, people, you know, there's bands that have never met in person before that have recorded like multiple albums and 
That's super cool. So cool. The thing I'm interested in also is like kind of the idea of, uh, you know, in the past when we could only look at like record sales or maybe like live shows or something like that, as far as like the measure of an artist's impact to me, what is most important personally is like their cultural impact. And I think it's a lot easier to see that now because of social media and, you know, YouTube and stuff like that, where you can see what people are saying in a way that wasn't possible before. So you can like really hear with people's own words, what this artist means to them. Absolutely. I mean, just also just seeing, you know, the engagement, you know, it's, it's, it's not only sometimes just like followers, it's really like the comments of, of engagement, you know, that, that, that this artist is actually inspiring someone to take the time to write back. And that exchange, you know, means so much, you know, it's that. And it's also, of course, unfortunately, not right now, but the live show, I, I think the live show is still the most authentic indication of an artist's impact. See, it's interesting you'd say that because I think I'm like the only person in rock that I don't give a shit about live shows. <laughs> I hate seeing bands. I hate going to shows. I hate it. That's so interesting to me. Really? We tell me more about that. I want to hear more about this. Uh, I don't like loud noise. I don't like staying up late. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like waiting in lines. It's just a hassle to me, and it never sounds as good. Like I, I, I'm, I guess maybe I'm a cold fish. Like I don't have any kind of emotional connection to like, like I don't see a band play live and feel like energized by it. I'm just like, eh. oh, really? Okay, so in this situation, we are opposites because yeah, they're they're just I'm just like they're playing the song, but it doesn't sound as good as the recording. Eh. That's so interesting. So like, have you seen any shows in your life that like were a religious experience or like never? Uh, I have had experiences at shows that were, you know, really meaningful to me, but like, I always went to shows to hang out with my friends. Right. Like the cultural component. Yes. That part was, that part meant a lot to me, but like half the time I wouldn't even watch the band and be like, Oh, let's go outside. I cannot believe this. I always used to say shows would be better if bands didn't play. (laughs) Okay. So this is, this is very interesting. The one thing that you and I are opposites. I'm totally an outlier on that, but what I think is cool about that is that now there's so many artists and it's great that people enjoy live shows. However, there's a lot of artists where that, you know, in the era where that was the way that you sort of spread your message and made money and stuff. I think it's awesome that there's now a ton of artists who don't play shows because they can't or don't want to that can still get their message out and can still make money. Like I know a ton of people who are like. 20 year olds that make music in their bedroom that make a decent living off of Spotify. And I think, and and have never played a show. And I think that's awesome. It's amazing. It's the wild, wild west now. It's like whatever, it's like a choose your own adventure. It's whatever works for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's so cool that a kid can get a copy of Ableton for a hundred bucks or whatever it is and some bullshit mic and make a full-time living just off of streams. I love that. That's the dream. I mean, that's incredible. That's that's amazing. And there's tons of them. It's not a small number of people. Oh, totally. It's just a different thing. It's just a different kind of artist. It's a different experience. And I get the same, for me personally, I get the same kind of sense of community from that like online community mm-hmm. as I did from like going to shows. 
Like, even if you've never been in the same room with these people, I get the same feeling of like shared values and lifestyle and experience and stuff like that. And I think it's really cool that people can connect online because, you know, I was fortunate enough to live 30 minutes from downtown Seattle and I could go to shows, you know, which I did as much as I could. But there's a lot of kids who live in the middle of nowhere where that's or maybe their parents aren't supportive or whatever, and they don't have an option. And I think it's awesome that people can form these online communities now. And it's really making a difference in people's lives. Oh, I think it's fantastic. You're absolutely right. I mean, I get so much pleasure with connecting. I mean, it's how we connected. You know, I, I get so much pleasure with connecting with everyone online. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. There's actually so many positive things about social media uh, and connecting there. Well, I have a couple specific questions. Maybe you can help me, you know, because what what I'm uh, always interested in, I don't know how much you watch my videos, but what I'm always interested in is figuring out why people like what they like, or I'm just kind of like, what is going on here? Why do people think this? So the one thing that I've noticed with uh, what, you know, people call emo rap or alternative rap, uh, which I believe is part of rock, because culturally it has nothing to do with hip hop, like, you know. Ghostman or Lil Lotus have nothing to do with like rap. Like they don't hang out with, you know, Gucci Mane or whatever. But for some, and even though they have guitars and even drums in a lot of their songs and they don't rap, (laughs) like nothing about it is rap. For some reason, people have a hard time seeing that as part of rock. And I really just don't get it. First of all, rap and rock have always been fused for a very, very long time. You know, I I think one of the most iconic examples of it was 1985 with Walk This Way with Run DMC and Aerosmith. It was like one of the most popular videos in MTV. It was such a wonderful cultural moment, you know, and that's just one example of how it's been around for decades. And of course, the entire rap rock new metal era, which by the way, I love. (laughs) Um, I I, I get made fun of a lot. I love that entire time. I'm like, all hell, the eyebrow ring. It's all good. Uh-huh. Or or uh, what's his name? Josie Scott's thing. Yeah, yeah. or the tongue ring. I mean, it, yep. was a, it was a facial piercing face. Yes. I love all that. So this is, it's not new. I think what is new about it sonically for a lot of people is um, 808s. You know, I, I think it's just new sounds being introduced that, and auto-tuning and, and certain, you know, vocal processing. A lot of rock people, that's like nails on a chalk. I don't understand that. I do. I understand it. I understand. I understand it. Like my brain understands it. Personally, I like it. So, but I understand how that sound is very jarring. Auto tune, I can kind of understand, but yeah, why people are so fixated on electronic drums, like why that bothers them so much, especially since. I guess they probably don't know or can't hear this, but I mean, the drums in probably most rock bands are essentially all samples too. Right. So to me, it's the same thing, but that is the thing that people very are very emotional about is the drums. You're absolutely right. I think, look, I think that the, the classic, when I say classic rock fan, I don't mean like a Led Zeppelin yeah. fit classic rock. I mean like a traditional rock fan. They like the sound of the authenticity of instrumentation as the primary sonic experience. Yeah. So if you have electronic elements in it, that's fine, as long as you can still hear distinct instruments for a lot of people. But then there's someone like Fishnark, who like sounds more like Mudhoney than right. Run DMC, and it's I, I don't really understand the resistance. Look, a lot of it's also semantics. You know, that's why I like to to steer clear of of labeling things or using yeah. genres because honestly, it's uh, what is that? The word alternative is the most nebulous term ever like right now, you know, it, it, it came from something, you know, maybe like 
like I don't even know when you can attribute when it started, but I guess into the mainstream started in the late eighties. I remember going to the uh, record store at the mall and the alternative section would have like suicidal tendencies next to like sisters of mercy or something. I love that. Yeah. It was just kind of the catch all for anything that wasn't just straight metal. And and now it's for anything that's like a little left of like pop. <laughs> right. Right. Look, what what one what alternative means to one person means something completely different to another person. So I just think I try to steer clear of labels and and semantics like that. So speaking of new metal, I have found that that is an era out of everything that I talk about. That is the thing that seems to get the most response. People are very uh, attached to that era and maybe the uh, what I call the butt rock era a little bit afterwards, like, you know, the Breaking Benjamin and all that kind of stuff. What is it about that era, you think, that uh, created that kind of a connection for people? So I also think it has to do with, like, your age. Like, it was such a wonderful source of, like, angst release. And I felt very angsty in my life. And I was lucky that I had Nevermind, you know, and all these iconic epic records. But when, you know, when the time went on in the 90s, I wasn't done. I still needed you know, that angst. And a lot of the new metal stuff had really great songwriting, really great hooks. It was really fun. The live shows were sick. So going to a corn show mm-hmm. was so fun. You know, going to a Limp Bizkit show was so fun. It was a blast. And it was just, it was the opposite of what you're describing with live shows. It was the <laughs> ultimate release and like, just not like, like defiance or just like getting everything you're angry about, like out. It was an experience. It was a therapeutic session. And you can connect with other people who also felt that same way. And it just was like the, it was just such a fun, cathartic release. I think a lot of it has to do with how many larger than life characters there were too. That's true. Yeah. What? Right. It was a fun time. I mean, they looked like comic book characters. Yeah, it got out of control. <laughs> it got out of control. It kind of like steered things in a weird direction. I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily. You know, I mean, it's, I think that they were rock stars in a way that. Total rock stars, like total rock stars. They were characters. They were just recognizable. Yeah. It just, you know, being there at a show meant you feel like you were part of something, you know, but then it went into like the opposite direction, the early 2000s with all the the bands, you know, right, so right, it was right. like the killers, the vines, the highs, right. like all the, the the bands. And that was a great time, too. But I think that's why that came with such a vengeance, because it was a complete juxtaposition to that angst, heavy, you know, testosterone driven rock from before it. I could be wrong, but uh, at least among my audience, which admittedly is probably not on the indie side of things, the 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 era does not seem to have the kind of emotional attachment to it that uh, new metal does, or that the mall screamo stuff afterwards has. Yeah, I mean, um, I think the more pop, the the more pop emo stuff definitely does, you know. But you're right; that was more of like the hot topic um, iteration of all the music yeah people love that stuff but i mean like the killers and the vines and all that stuff like i think the killers though did okay. the killers have definitely transcended that scene and that time the, the killers and i have to tell you i actually saw the killers pretty recently maybe like before all this like a year or two ago and it was like the show is on point like brandon flowers is like on point like it like the show is really great I feel like there was the whole era of bands that wore skinny ties, you know, like <laughs> skinny ties. the vines kind of knockoffs and stuff. And where did 
And the hair, the hair was like a thing. It was like a side swoop, like comb over kind of spiky edges right. thing. Do you know what I mean? I, I just, I've expected uh, a vines or white stripes kind of revival and maybe it's happened and I missed it because I don't pay attention to that kind of corner of things. But it seems to be, because that stuff was super popular and it seems to be like it kind of just didn't stick around the same way as other stuff did. Well, moments did. Like Jack White is totally omnipresent. You know, he, he's... He, virtuoso like freakazoid of talent so jack white is still very 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 present he's actually transcended his own band you know so right i think there are moments from that time that are iconic and timeless but you're right as a scene the the scene was definitely a moment of time that was very special and i think that you don't really understand it unless you lived through it and I feel fortunate that I lived through it in New York because that's kind of really right, what it right. was. So being in New York in the early 2000s, I have to tell you, was very special. That would be the place. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or 
go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. And let's get back into it. Maybe you can help me understand. I, I've tried for years to under to sort of unpack my own thinking about why I just don't connect with indie stuff at all. Like I I feel super strongly. I would I would draw a distinction between like alternative stuff. So like all anything, you know, any band that could ever play Warp Tour. You know, I'm I'm kind of into that. But then the Lollapalooza thing, which is just a small step away from it, I'm like, eh, doesn't do anything for me. Well, it's so funny because you know that the where Lollapalooza started with Perry Farrell of Jane's Addiction. It's his festival. I saw, I saw, I went to the first one in whatever, 91 or whatever. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was the epitome of alternative. Like that was what alternative was. Like in all of its glory. Lollapalooza epitomizes like the, how wonderful alternative is. Like the early nineties, like the sickest. Um, I don't think alternative like will ever be like as cool as that. I just thought that was like a renaissance. But so now I need to ask you then, like, can you give me some examples of artists so I know like where your brain is thinking? Oh, so Peach Pit or something. Like I can listen to it and be like, I I understand that it's good. Wait, first of all, you mean Passion Pit. Is that, oh, yes. No, but oh, yeah. I love you that you said the peach pit because that's the hang from 90210. <laughs> yes, from yeah. So I love you yeah. for that. Yeah. I love yes, you. passion pit. Yeah, no, I'm I'm thinking of, uh, yeah, see, see, I've dated myself. I love you for yeah, that, though. This, I love you for that. Yeah. <laughs> something like that, I just, I just don't, it just does nothing for me. I can appreciate it intellectually, but I don't know. All that stuff just sounds to me, it just reminds me of like something they would play at Whole Foods when you're like buying apples or something. I have a good question for you. Do you like to dance? No. There you go. Okay. I think I've just solved, remember, rock therapist, rock uh-huh. therapist. I think okay. I have Interesting. solved the Interesting. issue. A lot of that music is really fun, feel good dance at a music festival, which you also hate the live show. Yes. So I think that that's the answer. Okay, this is helpful. There's like a dance element to it. There, yeah, there's a dance gene. Just like I don't have the weedly weedly gene that makes me like Dance Gavin Dance or Circus Survive. Oh, you don't like Prague stuff. You don't. Do you like Coed and Cambria? No. Okay, so uh, this is very easy. I'm loving this. <laughs> I know now exactly. I'm not creating your profile. Okay, tell me. Tell me. You the do profile. not like. To, do, what about Rush? You do not like the band Rush. I mean, I, I I respect it, but I wouldn't choose to listen to it. Okay, so you do not like prog rock. You do not like prog rock. Because Circa no. Survive, co- what about like Fall of Troy? I cannot stand Fall of Troy. Okay, I got it. Okay. I'm good. Yeah. I see, I'm, I'm like answering my own questions here. My favorite Spotify playlist is The Scene. Oh, that's mine. Thanks. Okay. okay. <laughs> that's my okay. favorite one. Okay, so I totally get you. When I listen to that, I'm like, okay, these are my people. Okay, so you do not like prog rock. No. And you don't like anything remotely like dancey rock. You don't like a dance element and you don't like a progressive element. Yes. Got it. Again, this is just my personal taste. So, you know, not putting it down at all. Totally. No, no, I love that. I love talking about this. This is like, I got it. I get you. I get you. Okay. Well, explain, explain this to me. Put your therapist hat on and tell me, tell me why I connect with the scene playlist and not that other stuff. So I could tell you right off the bat, it sounds like you really do value songwriting because a lot of, right. So a lot of the bands on the scene, which primarily is like pop punk songs, they have really strong, like just catchy songs, like pretty standard songwriting. 
the prog rock bands you mentioned are not about strong traditional no. songs. They kind of go off on tangents. There's like interludes and stuff. So I get how you would not be into that. And then the indie stuff we talked about, like what about yeah. like Block Party? You're not into Block Party? That band made me want to chop yeah, my head am I off. good? I'm like naming yeah. Keith. And like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I get it. The Block Party fad of 2003 or whatever it right. was. Yeah. Not my thing at Thank all. Thank so you don't like you don't like dancey rock and you do not like prog rock. I totally no. get it. You like tra- more traditional songwriting, sing along choruses. You can like and there's an out. emotional element to that stuff too on the scene playlist, which is really what I respond to. Mm-hmm. I like the emotion of it, and I don't know exactly what that is. Do you like Sunny Day Real Estate? No. Like, do you like real e- like original like emo like original? No. Okay, so you like more like popular emo. Yes. Okay. Mall, mall emo. So you like song, you like traditional songwriting. Yes. Got, totally get it. You like traditional song structure, sing along choruses, like grab all your friends. I like water parks. I love water parks. Yeah. I love them. And I think that those guys continue to write great songs. Okay. I totally get you. you you're a songwriter person. You like, you like good songs. I am a songwriter person. That This is also why uh, I love a lot of pop. Right. Because, you know, people like I'm a huge fan of Charlie XCX because when I learned that she wrote like the chorus to that Icona Pop song in like 15 minutes, yeah. I was Amazing. like, what the fuck? And she was like 19. I'm like, you make me. No, that's sick. The, the ability to write like that is such a badass skill. You know, what I mean, it's like I recently watched this Dolly Parton documentary. Did you watch this? Uh, No, but that sounds interesting. Oh, OK. You have to watch it immediately. Dolly Parton is one of the greatest songwriters. Like, she, And I don't think people know that. First of all, she's a rock star, okay? Dolly Parton can, like, sit and write a song. You know, she wrote the song, I Will Always Love You, the Whitney Houston mm-hmm. song. Okay, you know, she wrote that mm-hmm. epic song. Like, one of the best songs unbelievable- ever. One of the best songs ever, right. So, but just, like, watching this documentary is so interesting to me that she can bang out a song in a matter of minutes, you know? It's just, I think that that skill set is so admirable. It's hard to do. It's really hard. It's super hard. Another interesting thing about rock compared to, let's say, rap, because I've always listened to a lot of rap, too. I listened to rap before I knew what, like, metal was. You know, I was into Yo! MTV Raps when I was, like, nine. That was, like, the first kind of music I got into. So I've always listened to both. I feel like, uh, and I'm going to make a video about this, that, you know, rap, I think, has the potential now to blow up faster. But I think that it lacks a middle class that exists in rock. Like in rap, you're either a nobody or you're a star. There's not like a, you know, a strong ecosystem of like club level rap artists, you know, that can consistently play to 500 people a night for like 10 years. Do you agree with that? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, again, it comes down to the live show because that's live show and live performance is so important in rock and alternative and less important in rap. Like it's when I say less important, like not important, you know, so it's not important at all. So I think that that is something, again, that is unique to rock and alternative is because that live show is a part of the artist's identity. It's a very important place to connect with fans on a very emotional, spiritual way. I feel like rap now is almost more about celebrity culture than it is music in a lot of ways. Like the music is part of it, but I feel like it's about the celebrity of the rappers as much as it is the music. 
well, it's more traditional, like how rock was at one point, yes, you, know? Exactly. I, you know, it's exactly when, ro- you know, when rock was all about the larger than life lifestyle, rock stars, you know, the whole thing, mm-hmm. it was like a status symbol, you know, that's, you know, rock rap became the new rock. So that makes perfect sense. But I do think we are at a pivotal point in music and culture overall. I'm interested to see what happens next. I don't think any, you know, everything is cyclical and I don't think anything will ever be exactly as it was. It's impossible. It's impossible. But I do think we're at an exciting crossroads and I'm excited to see where that brings rock. It's interesting. I mean, look, we, you know, Machine Gun Kelly had the number one album and it was the first rock album to top the charts of 2020. The last one was Tool Fear Inoculum 2019 last fall. So, I mean, great. And he, you know, and I yeah. think that that's fantastic. I love that, you know, kids are the same way that seeing Green Day's Dookie tour in 94, like mm-hmm. was an introduction to punk for me. Cause I didn't know, you know, I didn't know punk. I learned about punk after that, but Green Day was the introduction for me. Let Machine Gun Kelly or Youngblood be the introduction for this new generation. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, I, anyone who's, you know, you know, revering a guitar and, and, and real instrumentation, that's that makes me excited. Well, you, you probably know him. I have to wonder, like, how many of these things does it, it, it where is the, the secret ingredient Travis Barker? <laughs> well, he, he is Travis Barker is a Renaissance man. And I, I joke with him that he's like King Midas, the Midas touch, because he really is everything I mean, that he, by the way, everything he works on, I love like everything. He has some things coming up and he, it's just sick. I'm happy for him. He deserves, he's a wonderful person and he's a true talent. And he is like this secret weapon because he has an A&R ear yeah. and he can see an artist and, env- and envision the potential of them. And then he's able to work with them as a as a musician and also a producer so this is a very exciting time he's literally working with everyone but everything yeah. that he's putting out is actually great and it seems like he just kind of turned that on a couple years ago i'm like mm-hmm. i didn't know you could be like an amazing AR producer you know label executive right i don't know if he knew i don't know if yeah. he realized until he started doing it and he was put turning out great music and it's exciting. You know, you ask, I always ask bands, like, who is that artist for you? And the answer is Blink-182 for mm-hmm. so many. Like, I'm always so interested to hear what that answer is. And I have to tell you that Blink-182 is one of the top answers. And I think he, in particular, has always kind of had one foot in kind of the hip-hop, street culture kind of side of things that in the 90s, you know, that was uncommon. And now it's like, that is pop culture. And I think he was one of the people that like defined that. You're absolutely right. He was one of the very first in in the mainstream world for sure. Yeah, it's great. I get a lot of questions from people who are asking me to talk about uh, Australian uh, Australian bands in particular, but in general, like, hey, why don't you talk more about like Australian, you know, European or Asian bands? And my answer is, I don't really care where a band is from. I just talk about people mm-hmm. who are interesting. But uh, I do find it interesting. It seems to me that rock is a lot more, uh, I guess, relevant in the mainstream sense in those places. And so my question is, like, are they? And it, it used to be that I would say they were five or ten years behind the times. I don't know if that's true anymore, or if they have developed kind of their own thing. What do you think? I mean, as far as Australia in particular, or just like in general, like I, I said, Europe, Australia, and Japan, but those are three different places, so they the answer may depend. 
I'm with you. I don't, I don't particularly like care where a band is from. I'm not like biased towards a certain yeah. region. I love, you know, the global aspect of it. I just think the majority of bands happen to become actually from the UK. <laughs> I, I think the UK in particular. And I think that part of the reason for that is one is the amazing history, you know, that's, that's there, mm-hmm. but two, the way those countries are set up, it's, there's still a lot of support and platforms for the genre. I find that there are less platforms in America because America has also turned a lot to rap, hip hop and pop and country. And don't forget country massive. So in America, rock and alternative has almost become like the underdog and more underground. So there's just less platforms for it. And then in the UK, there's still more. So it's more mainstream there. You know, Bring Me the Horizon. Platforms meaning what? Like BBC or something? Yeah, like like Bring Me the Horizon is a mainstream artist Yeah. in the UK. They're a mainstream artist, you know? I remember going to Reading and Leeds, like I said in, in my episode, and like it was like a Friday and it was a surprise show and the turnout was like in the afternoon was just, I was like in tears. So I was so... I remember I went to Reading and Leeds that first Friday and I think it was like 12 p.m. and the band Swimmers. Do you know the band Swimmers? Yeah. Okay. So I love Swimmers. And the fans that showed up for 12 p.m. on Friday, knowing every lyric to every song, I just was like, this is unique to hear. Yeah, that would not happen here. That wouldn't happen like that here. And yeah. that I like felt like I'm like, these are my people. You know, like I just <laughs> like just how rabid the fans were for that show. But it's everywhere. I mean, like there's amazing bands in Australia. It's just less in other areas, but I would say it's mostly UK, America, Australia. Meanwhile, you know, cities like Mexico City is a massive rock city. They love rock music. Not a ton of bands from there, but I think there'll be more. I think there's going to be more and more everywhere. It is interesting how difficult it is for bands from abroad to get any traction here. And I think part of that is just how expensive it is to get here and tour and stuff like that. And for rock that, as you said, that is important. It just seems like there's a lot of artists or like all those symphonic metal bands that played at fucking stadiums, you know, in Europe and maybe in New York and LA it could draw here, but in Kansas city, they'd play to 500 people. It's the sheer size of the country. I mean, you yeah. could literally be on tour for a month and still be in Texas. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, it's just impossible. I mean, the gas money, the just to physically get in front of people in Europe, you can be in different countries in two hours. You know what I mean? So I think it's just literally the actual geographic layout. It's just easier to get in front of more people from different cultures in your in Europe. You make a good point about country too, and uh, I, I like a lot of uh, I call it Walmart country. You know the, you know the Florida Georgia Line sort of school of things. Because you love songwriting. Because you yes. love strong songwriting. You are the you're the rock, or in this case, the country therapist. <laughs> also, I care a lot about lyrics, and I also you know because like I said, I don't like staying out late and stuff like that. You know, I'm a pretty G-rated family man these days, so I also respond to country lyrics, and I think it's interesting that country has occupied the place that let's call it like blue collar rock would have you know kind of occupied 15 or 20 years ago absolutely it comes down to great songwriting and storytelling yep you know it's about telling a story that the listener can relate to a hundred percent and especially in these times we we are hungry for connection so when someone's singing a, a very simple song lyrically that just is speaking to you personally. We're all kind of going through the same challenges, obstacles, common obstacles. 
that resonates with so mm-hmm. many people, you know, and sometimes you just want something that that's simple. I mean, it's just simple songwriting can really go a long way. And it's usually very, very timeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the level of craft to those Nashville people, like the songwriters and producers and stuff is, I would argue, maybe the best of any genre. So much respect. Again, goes back to the Dolly Parton thing. To be able to yeah. turn out a song like that, it blows my mind. Like the worst drummer in Nashville is still amazing. <laughs> right, right. It's just like Nashville is like its own universe. It's such a special, incredible city, community. The The amount of talent in that city in every aspect is just, it, it is very, very special. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, a couple artists that I know you've mentioned because it seems like they've really had sort of inflection points. And I, I, I'm hoping to see them kind of hit the next level. Uh, one would be Ghostmane, who I know you had on your show. I've covered him for a while. I know him a little bit. It feels like he really had a big inflection point with this last album. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think this is his pivotal album. I, I 100% think this is his turning point album. The Turning Point album is always the album where if you've never even heard this artist before, if you don't even know who they are, you're going to like this album. You know, um, I think probably for Bring Me the Horizon was That's the Spirit. You know, every mm-hmm. every artist has their Turning Point album. And you know what? I love those albums because it's usually those albums where the songwriting is the strongest. Yep. <laughs> you know, so I, again, like you, respect great songwriting. And it's always the album where the hardcore diehards, like they sold out or I don't like <laughs> the name. Course, you yeah. know what I mean? But like, right. I always have respect for an artist's journey. They can't keep turning out the same thing over and over. Although some fans would like that. The yeah. artist is is not like here to manufacture always for the fans. Of course, they care about the fans, but they have to go through their own catharsis and exploration. You know, I always, always welcome an artist's courage to, to try a new direction. You know, even when like Chris Cornell, who's one of my favorite artists of all time, collaborated with like Timbaland, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like, there were so many haters on that. I was like, good for him. Like, that's weird and outside the box <laughs> yeah. and c- cool. And I actually liked a lot of the stuff they did together, but like, I think it takes so much courage. I'm always thinking about what the artist is going through, how much pressure they put on themselves, the pressure sure. they do feel to, to placate the fans. They care about the fans. So it's a lot going on, but at the end of the day, they have to put out music that they are proud of and that their gut tells them to try. So I'm always very supportive. I feel like this is the album where rock people started to like him because when I was talking about him in 2017, they all hated him. Uh, and it feels like now they've come around. This album is so much more Nine Inch Nails. It's so much more Marilyn Manson. It's so much yeah. more recognizable. He has such an interesting plethora of influences that span like Bone Thugs and Harmony and like, you know. Nails and yeah. Right. Like, so he has such an interesting wide array of influences and i think that on this album in particular he tapped more into his industrial his rock and industrial influences but what's so interesting about him is he has a million things going on he's like a a metal you know he does like he's like a million personas he's such an interesting talent yeah very very smart guy another one that i'm very interested in is young blood i feel like he has potential to be you know the next my Chemical Romance, you know, and potentially, even, or, you know, like 
obviously a huge bummer when Lil Peep died just on a personal level, but also because he was clearly about to blow the fuck up and be that like, you know, icon for a generation. And I feel like Youngblood might have the opportunity to do that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent times a million, million. I have been supporting Youngblood since day one. I believe in him a million percent. He is such a unique artist and I will, I will tell you some reasons why. <laughs> One, with the songwriting, he has that skill. Mm-hmm. This guy can write songs. He's one of the most prolific writers. He can just write songs like this. It's actually like wild, like how much he can physically just write great songs with pop sensibility. Also, I think because his vast knowledge of rock history, like it's pretty impressive when you have a conversation with him. He knows like everything. He has such a respect for his influences that he actually calls upon them to influence certain songs, you know, which I think is so interesting that someone can be like, I want the cure, like, I want it to be kind of like the cure, but then I also want like a green day, like chorus. And then I want like a, the clash to like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's mm-hmm. so interesting, but then he's making it all his own for a new generation. And then the other thing is, is that star power and live show that you yeah. don't care about that I live for. And I don't care about it, but I recognize how important okay. it is. He, he is, as far as showmanship, as far as performance, he is, he's incredible. Um, it, it's incredible. And I love watching what he means to the fans in the, in the video. Yeah. That's the part that I connect with the most was when I see that kind of really deep personal connection with fans that's what makes me feel like this artist is onto something beyond just having a catchy song right you know i mean uh, that's great and you know I, I i don't discount that at all but when you see like wow these kids are like uh look up to this person as like a they have a you know a parasocial relationship with this person that's what makes me pay attention it's also what he writes about, how inclusive he is, how mm-hmm. he's a champion for equal rights and inclusivity. And, you know, if you feel weird, like we're all weird, like we're all with you, like it's a very positive message, which is so powerful and needed. So to watch that message resonate with these kids, that's wonderful. You know, I mean, he's just sort of like, you're not alone. I think that that is, he, he actually has a beautiful messaging in his songs, yeah. you know. Uh, I, I, he's amazing. Uh, he's a great example of, you know, sometimes you hear old people say, oh, kids these days don't know the history. I'm like, no, actually they do. The lot of, sometimes really they do. know more than I do. I'm like, how do you know all this stuff about stuff that came out before you were born? But they do. Again, again with the access, you know, yeah. having that access to everything is, is special. You know, having that access can be very powerful. And the artists I'm seeing in this next generation gives me so much hope. And it just shows how powerful that access is. Last one that I, I, I don't think they'll ever be, you know, at the level, they're not going to be next micro, My Chemical Romance or anything, but I like a lot of City Morgue. Do you have uh, any thoughts on them? I don't have enough to say about it. I feel like I also haven't seen them live. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm such like an old traditional person. Like I need to understand what an artist is. Well, this might tell you something. So when I watch videos of them playing live, I'm like, holy shit, they got some energy. Okay. And yeah. that's from somebody that doesn't give a shit about live shows. Right. Well that's well that's impressive. That's impressive. That makes me excited. We'll definitely be on my my to-do list. I'm pretty sure that one or maybe both of them used to be in like punk bands, so that would kind of explain it. It has to be. Yeah. Because it has that energy. 
That's why that's I love like, Fever 333. Do you, yeah. Are you a fan? Like, have you seen them live? I'm not a fan, but I recognize why they're great at what they do. But I see, but I feel like that might be an example of what, when you see them live. Yes. My whole point with the live show is that it literally might change how you feel about an artist. In fact, I will guarantee it does. For most people, not for me, what makes me respond if I read their lyrics, because I care about how they think. I don't really care how they act on stage. I care about what they have to say. Yeah, but they, they can't really be isolated, though. You know what I mean? When you see Rage Against the Machine, their live show is so great, not because they're, like, acrobatic. It's because they're, like, emitting the lyrics with their bodies. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I'm I weird. I You know, I, I think about these things differently. Like, what actually made me care about Rage Against the Machine is... Uh, I used to have a bootleg of Zach's old band Inside Out where he's like talking between songs about whatever. And I was like, oh, okay, this guy is thinking a little bit differently than your average hardcore band. Uh, So that's kind of what made me care. But you're going to get that at the live show. You're going to get that. (laughs) You're going to get those intimate conversations in between songs only at the live show. Not You're going to back me into a corner and make me make me care about live shows i'm on a mission like when this is all over and safe like you and i i'm taking you to a show and we'll be an early show and we won't have to like wait and do anything torturous we will like be like welcomed and we will like rock out to a show together okay well i'll I'll take you up on that well i want to be respectful of your time i know you got a lot going on uh so i will let you go is there anything you would like to uh uh add before you take off I mean, I just want to reiterate, I'm, I'm so glad that you're doing this, you know, that we're connecting because I think the community is really important. I love the community. I, I welcome everyone to reach out to me on Instagram at Allie Hagendorf. Listen to my show. Each new episode is every Friday on Spotify. It's called Rock This with Allison Hagendorf. I'd love to hear from you. I genuinely love to connect because we are like-minded and that we, we love this genre whatever that means to you, you know, and I, it's, it's my way of life. And I know that it's the way of life for so many people. And I just want to get closer with all those people. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you. And last but not least, let's do a few Q and A's from Nicholas Jackson. Why are you an atheist? Well, this is a question of epistemology. Epistemology is the theory of knowledge. Like, how do you know what's true? How do you know what truth is? The, what, how, what is knowledge? And how do you know that knowledge is true? And fundamentally, it comes down to empiricism to me. Empiricism is the belief that truth is obtained by sense data. In other words, things that we can hear, see, smell, and taste. Uh, and that's imperfect, you know, because, you know, there's a thing called Hume's problem, which essentially is uh, the question is, if sense data is the ultimate arbiter of truth, how can you measure that that is true when all you have is sense data? And especially because we know that sense data is, an imp- is imperfect. Optical illusions are a good example of this. In other words, you and I can both look at the same thing. Like there's that famous one of, uh, you know, it's like two goblets and do you see a face or do you see the two goblets we were both exposed to the same sense data in other words the same image but we perceived it differently so sense data is not perfect however i think it's the best thing that we have and so to your question about why i'm an atheist at the end of the day i believe 
that sense data is the closest thing that we have to a source of truth, although it's not perfect. I think it's the closest thing that we have, and I believe that predictive success is the ultimate measure of what is true. So, uh, you know, this is the scientific method. You come up with a theory, you describe the way that a given system works, and you use that to predict what will happen in the future. And I believe that science and empiricism are the best thing that we have in terms of predicting future events. They seem to be a lot better than any religious texts. Uh, so I don't believe in any supernatural beings or figures or anything like that simply because it just doesn't check out against my theory of what is true of sense data and empiricism. That said, I think that there's a lot of truth to be found there in terms of like just guidelines on how to live your life. Uh, I, I talked about this in the podcast with Tuck from Fit for a King. Uh, I don't remember who said this, but even if you don't believe in God, even if you don't believe in Christianity, and there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's not great, but even with that said, it's true that the things that the Bible defines as sin, if you engage in those things, it's probably going to make your life worse. So although I don't believe in a God of any kind, I do think that there's a lot of truth in those texts and in the sort of philosophy and lifestyle around a lot of those religions. So I think it's important not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. From Suhartana Putra. I hope I said your name right. Apologies if I didn't. What band or artist that ruined, you can't listen to it anymore because their style changed their fandom or how the media hyped them? Of those things, I would say style changes, I don't know, that doesn't really bother me. Like maybe I don't like a certain band's music after they changed or whatever. But the thing that really turns me off to bands, and this is stupid, I, I really shouldn't think this way, but what turns me off more than anything to certain bands is their fans. There's some of these bands that just have these Punisher fandoms that are just way too like overbearing that kind of just won't shut up the diarrhea of the mouth I guess is what I would call it that anytime the band comes up they just gush about their opinion about the band you know dance Gavin dance thrice glass jaw at the drive-in fall of Troy Coheed and Cambria anything involving Faith No More or Mike Patton uh, anything involving Maynard James Keenan or Tool you know Deftones these fandoms where you just bring it up and there's almost like a religious fervor to the fandom where anything that you say that doesn't precisely match up with their opinion they get like really mad about it and they want you to agree with them and then I just find it exhausting and I shouldn't think that way you know the way that the fans act shouldn't change the way that I think about a band's music. Um, so I, I try not to let myself go there, but it just, I can't help it. If the fans are annoying, like overbearing punishers like that, that ruins a band for me more than anything else. From Gamerman RPG King, things that help you get back on track when you're burned out. Well, your name is actually one of those things. Uh, sometimes when I feel burned out, I play video games for a week or two. I don't mean like a week or two straight. I mean, at the end of the day, I'll play games for an hour or two for a couple weeks. And that will just kind of help me feel, I don't know, I'll recharge my batteries. Usually what happens is I'll find some game I like. For example, I was playing XCOM 2 a couple months ago, and I played it a couple hours a day, and it definitely hurt my productivity. But what I find is that it just recharges my battery, and when my battery is charged, then I don't want to play video games anymore. I just let myself go there. Like, if I'm feeling burned out and unproductive, I just let myself be unproductive for a while, knowing that it's going to recharge my battery and knowing that the light is going to come back on 
on and then I'm going to get back into productivity mode. And I've just learned that about myself that this is a cycle that I go through maybe, I don't know, once a year or something like that. I have one of these cycles of unproductivity. I just let it happen. I let it go over me and then I get back on track. So I would say video games, that's the thing that helps me get back on track. The other thing that I do consistently, like I talked about before, is jujitsu. I don't know that that helps me with burnout necessarily, but just generally helps me with mental and physical health, which is kind of the foundation of productivity, the foundation of the thing that helps you avoid burnout. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you wanna help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really wanna support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>